Let us take up where we left off this morning by turning first of all to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We saw from the Word of God, especially Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, that God chose to have children from the fallen rebels of mankind according to His own will, that He would get all the praise forever for the choice. We saw from other places that God is just and holy. He cannot acquit sin or clear the guilty, so He had to provide a sacrifice And so in His infinite wisdom, He raised up His own Son, Jesus of Nazareth, and sent Him to die that we might be the sons of God. He did truly send His Son, the one that had obeyed Him perfectly, the one that He loved greatly, to die for us to be the sons of God. He sent His only begotten and beloved Son that we might be. His Son. What a transaction. And that's the legal aspect of our adoption. But even though our sins are paid for with the death of Christ, we still have a nature unacceptable to God. So He regenerated us by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us a new heart, a fleshy heart, that loves the things of God, relates to God, wants to be in His presence, wants to be in heaven, loves the Gospel, believes the Gospel, and wants to love the children of God. He's put that in our hearts with a new nature. Those are the acts of God, and now we come to what we have called in the past the practical phase of our adoption. The practical phase of our adoption is when we hear the gospel because the Lord sends us the message of what He's done for us. In the illustration that I gave you last Lord's Day, we're in the back seat of the limo being taken away from the orphanage of fallen mankind. We're, We're on our way to heaven. Because we've been elected, we've been justified, and we've been regenerated. But there in the back seat, He tells us what He's done for us. And that is what the Bible is for. It's to tell us what God has done for us in adopting us. What we can do for Him to please Him and how we ought to treat each other. Every father in here understands that when he's driving down the road with his children in the back seat... From time to time, he needs to reach back there and remind them that there's someone in charge in the car and that they all need to get along together back there. And the Lord does that. He tells us to love one another. And we're going to see some verses tonight that fit that very well. The practical phase of adoption. We are the sons of God by His choice, Christ's death, and the Spirit's regeneration. But then he tells us about it. We believe the gospel news when we hear it. And we have believed it. We rejoice in His great love. We get baptized to answer Him with a good conscience for what He's done for us. We learn what we can do for Him. We want to look like His sons. We work to assure our hearts that we are indeed His sons. He chastens our foolishness as a loving Father. We reject the world of men. The world of men rejects us, and we seek and help the other sons that we run into here in this world. That's the practical phase of our adoption. Let's look at some verses. Let's have a little Bible study for the little while that we have. Matthew chapter 5. These are simple verses, but let's look at them and see 
the practical phase of our sonship. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If you want a character trait to confirm to you that you're a child of God, if you want something you can do to please your Father in heaven, then you're going to be a peacemaker among the sons of God. If that peace has been violated in your house, you're going to make put it back at peace. If that peace has been violated in this church, you're going to put it back at peace. You're going to be a peacemaker. You're going to make peace, especially when it involves you. If it involves you and someone's upset at you or you're upset at them, then you're going to forgive them and make peace. You're a peacemaker. You're called a son of God. Because that is a characteristic of God, and it shows the work of the Holy Spirit in one of His children's lives. To be a peacemaker. Are you all peacemakers? If we're all peacemakers, then what's going to be reigning in this church? Peace. And that's what we want, because that pleases Him. What father enjoys sitting at a table where the children are fighting? What father likes driving a thousand miles on a trip when the children are fighting in the back seat? We all understand, don't we? We have a Father in heaven. He can't stand it when we, He has saved all of us, delivering us from so much, and yet we want to fight and squabble with each other. Let's be peacemakers and be the children of God. This is the practical phase. You know, we're not going to be called the children of God for the first time by our act of peacemaking. It's just going to show us being the children of God, and He's going to be called a child of God that does this because it shows the character of our Father in heaven. We were children of God in the eternal counsel of God's mind before the world was made. We were the children of God legally when Jesus Christ died long before we were even born. And you were a child of God as soon as you were born again. Because you were born again into the family of God. But this is how we look like we're a child of God. And when someone's a real peacemaker, they're always working to keep everyone happy with each other. You know what you can say about that person? That's a child of God. The devil has never been in the business of making peace. The devil's in the business of war and murder. Chapter 5, verse 43, tells us this. Matthew 5, 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. If you'll do these things, here's what the Lord Jesus Christ said in verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Here's God our Father calling us to a higher standard of righteousness by telling us to love our enemies. So who's offended you? Who's hurt you? Forgive them. Bless them. Love them. Pray for them. Do good to them. And it shows that you're a child of God. Now notice what it says in verse 45. It says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. That can't be the eternal phase. Can't be the legal phase. Can't be the vital phase. It's got to be just a practical phase of looking like the children of God because we're showing the same nature He has. Here's the practical phase. Our Father in Heaven has saved us 
that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. The image of His Son was a peacemaker. The image of His Son was to love His enemies. The image of His Son was hanging on the cross, praying for His Father to forgive them, for they knew not what they were doing to Him. That's the way we want to be in the practical phase of living out the adoption as the sons of God. Turn to John chapter 12 and verse 36. John 12, 36. Let's act like the children of God. Let's be sons. There are going to be differences between us. Let's, let's overlook them. Let's forgive. Let's pray for. Let's serve one another. I've warned those that are going to be joining us later this evening that there are going to be little offenses that arise. It's just the nature of sinners living together. But let's handle them the way our Father in Heaven wants us to handle them. Let's handle them the way the sons of God should handle them. John twelve thirty six. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. He was only here for three and a half years, showing his light to his generation. And he said, while you have the light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of the light. We have the record of the Lord Jesus Christ written down for us. And we want to lay hold of it and conform our lives to be like his. He was the Son of God. We want to be the other sons of God by living like him. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 17. John twenty seventeen. This is the verse I sent you last evening where Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, as she grabbed a hold of him, he said, touch me not, don't hug me and hold me now, is what the sense of the words are. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Don't worry, I'm not leaving immediately. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ telling us that we have a Father in heaven just like the Lord Jesus Christ did, and that we have a God in heaven just like He did, and He's ours to share because of what has been done in the great work of adoption. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, first, before we go to 2 Corinthians. There are so many verses in this chapter that need to be read, should be read, should be considered. I hope you read them carefully last night and will comment briefly on them tonight. But let's get three of them right now. Verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives in a practical phase. It's a presence of the Spirit of God that communicates with us and tells us we're the children of God. It's one that causes you at times to know that you're God's child, 
to know that God is your Father and to cry out to Him, Abba, Father, you know He's with you. You know He's dwelling in you. It's that presence of the Holy Spirit that is part of the practical phase. The Holy Spirit regenerated us. But not until we're walking after that Spirit and obeying Him does He bear this testimony in our lives. He comes to fruition by obedience. The more obedient we are by feeding ourselves in the Word of God, by being around the people of God, by speaking of the things of God, by praying and confessing our sins, the greater that voice is within us. The more we play with the world and the less we read the Bible, the smaller that voice is within us because the Spirit of God is grieved and quenched. And we don't have that witness bearing in our own hearts. But it's there. And it can fill you so that you know without a doubt you're a child of God. But if you don't read and you don't pray, or you pray little and read little, it's going to be a little voice. May the Lord help us to have a great voice in us, testifying that He is indeed our Father. The spirit of bondage, again, to fear there, is the spirit of bondage of the law of God, which could not justify a man. It's the spirit of bondage of the fear of death that all Gentiles have had. But we don't have that spirit of bondage, again, to fear. We have the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Instead of God being a horrifying judge over us, and all we know is terrifying fear, we have Him loving us as our Heavenly Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The practical phase of being the sons of God. These are the things we can do for a greater relationship with Him. These are the things we can do to look like the sons of God. There's a God in heaven. The Proverbs 15.3 tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees when we're good like His sons, and it blesses Him. As we had offered tonight for a thanksgiving and a prayer request, that we would mortify our flesh to please God more. Every time you mortify your flesh... You're angry and you don't want to talk. You're sinning. You don't have a right to clam up whenever you feel like it. You have a right to be loving, friendly, affectionate, sociable in your family or with the rest of us. You're angry and you want to spout off and call someone names. You don't do it in either case. Because to do so is to sin against God. To mortify that deed of the flesh is to please Him by being a son of His on earth. And He looks and sees and He's pleased and He blesses that man. The Bible is not complicated. The more we deny ourselves and serve Him, the more He blesses us. When we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we come to our association with heathen practices. It tells us in verse 14 not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It tells us in 15 that there's no concord between Christ and Belial. It tells us in 16 that we're the temple of God and we ought to have no agreement with the temple of idols. And it comes to verse 17 and it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And you will be a father, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 17 is the condition 
for verse 18. Now, let's think through this a minute. Verse 18, where God says He'll be our Father and will be His sons and His daughters. He already did that once in eternity. We're not going to add to that. He already did that at the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ came into this world that we might receive the adoption of sons. We're not going to add to that. He's already regenerated us to be His sons. We're not going to add to the work of the Holy Spirit giving us a new nature. What is this describing? This is describing walking with God. This is describing having that personal relationship with Him and fellowship where He blesses you and treats you like your Father that is well pleased with you as a son. Do you know how you get it? We come out from among the heathen. We don't do the things that they do. We don't celebrate Halloween, Christmas, Easter, or Valentine's Day, and we don't cremate our dead. As a new document on our website teaches. Because to do so is learning the way of the heathen. It's choosing to have fellowship with the idol worshipers of this world and the pagans that know not God. If we love our Father in heaven, we're going to treat our bodies carefully because He created them. We're going to treat our bodies carefully because He's going to raise them. We're going to treat our bodies carefully because He sent Jesus Christ to die for them. That's just an example. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Hate this world. Don't be a friend of the world. Hate the world and the farther you get out of it and you don't touch it, and the more you dedicate yourself to the things of God, look what He promises. Remember, I've, I've taught you this passage before. There are seven conditions in it and there are seven promises. So that when we come to the first verse of the next chapter, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, God wants to be your Father. In a practical sense of dwelling with you, walking with you, being your God, you being His people, and treating you like a loving Father. But it's conditioned upon us coming out from this world and not flirting with the world and not committing spiritual adultery with the world by joining ourselves to the practices that the world has. That offends him like it would offend any man when he saw his wife flirting with an enemy. And the more we come out from among the enemies of God, the more he'll be a loving father to us, to you. He can do that to us one by one, and he can do that to us as a church as we come out from among the world. There's a promise, and it is wonderful, and we ought to lay hold of it. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that verse says that you're the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Some people, that's the only verse they want from the Bible. That's enough about sonship to make them happy. But if we have, if we think through the whole Bible, us having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does not help our election. Because when God looked down from heaven upon the children of men, He didn't see anyone with faith. Right. It didn't help us at the cross. Because Jesus only died for those that God had given him anyway. It didn't help us in regeneration, because prior to regeneration, it's impossible to have faith. 
So God must elect first, Christ must die second, and the Holy Spirit regenerate third, then we're able to have faith. When we exercise our faith, what does it do for us? Does it make us the children of God in an eternal sense? Does it put our names in the book of life? Does it make us the children of God in a legal sense? In a vital sense? No, no, and no. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How do we lay hold of the fact that we're a child of God? How do we lay hold of it and take it for ourselves and make our calling and election sure? What is the beginning of that process? Faith comes before baptism. Faith comes first. Verse 26. Remember in 2 Peter chapter 1 where we learned the eight things that you can make your calling and election sure? It said, add to your, add, add to your faith. Faith is what we start with because faith is what is given to us by God. And when we exercise that faith, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The evidence that the Galatians were the children of God was by their faith. Instead of their law keeping, they thought they were going to be the children of God by keeping the law of Moses. That's what the whole book's for. The whole book of Galatians, all six chapters, is Paul teaching these church church members of the Galatian churches that they had heard an error and were being taught heresy. They weren't going to be the children of God by lining themselves up with Abraham or or, or with Moses. They were going to be the children of God by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the evidence of being a child of God. It, it, It amazes me why people have trouble with a verse like this. It amazes me when they don't have one with the passage that we just went to where it said that if you'll come out from among the world, then I'll be your father. Now, did that father-son relationship start when they came out from the world or did it exist beforehand? But you showed it. You evidenced it. You manifested it. You proved it. You lived it out by coming out from among the world and God came to you in a more personal and practical relationship and blesses you more personally the more separated you are from this world. When a man believes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is evidence that he's a child of God. And that's that's all Paul is saying. You realize it in your consciousness? I can look at you and know you're a child of God by your faith in Christ? This is not how we become the children of God, because we become the children of God in eternal election and predestination, if you read Ephesians 1 with me this morning, by what Jesus did for us on the cross. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And that was 2,000 years ago. And you're born again without any faith, because faith is a result of being born again. This is how we prove it, show it, lay hold of it, evidence it, and realize it ourselves in our own conscience by believing on Jesus Christ. Then we begin adding to that faith. Faith proves that we're the sons of God because only the sons of God have faith. Then we add to that faith virtue. But before we even add the virtue, we're we're asking for the waters of baptism because verse 27 follows immediately upon 26 and tells us that we believe and then we're baptized. As I said on Wednesday evening, we believe, or we teach, and we hold and we defend believers' baptism. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The only sense those words can be understood 
is that you evidence and show and prove yourselves to be the sons of God by the faith you have in Christ. Are you trying to tell me that a child of the devil exercised faith in Jesus Christ in order to become a son of God? Are you telling me that one born of the flesh exercised faith in Jesus Christ in order to be born of the Spirit? No way. Our faith in Christ is an outflowing of the fact that we are the sons of God. and It's the evidence of it. And that is how we lay hold of it. Because look at what he says when he comes down to verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's no way you can get in touch with Abraham and Jesus Christ except by God's sovereign decree to make you his son of promise. And how do you know you're his son of promise? By believing on Christ and being baptized. Because if you do that sincerely, most of the world doesn't want to do that. And when you do that sincerely, that's showing yourself to be a son of God. I love the last two verses of Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek. These Galatians thought they had to become like the Jews in order to be saved. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent down from the Father in heaven to give us the adoption of sons long before we believe. We believe it to lay hold of it ourselves and find the assurance and peace and joy that it brings. Galatians chapter 4. You're close at hand. Look at what it says in verses 6 and 7. I want to tell you that verses 1 through 5 are about our legal adoption of Jesus Christ coming. It says in verse 4, He was made of a woman, made under the law. Verse 5, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's the legal work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His being incarnate on earth, born of a woman, under the law, fulfilling the law, And then laid down his life for us. But then it says in verse 6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is the other occurrence in the New Testament of Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is the next phase when God sends His Spirit into our hearts that causes us to cry, Abba, Father. That's beyond regeneration. That's when the Holy Spirit opens up our hearts like it opened up the heart of Lydia and moves us, like it said in Romans chapter 8, to call on God our Father and to know that He's our Father. It's a practical aspect of being a son of God. There in chapter 4. Come over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. When you are born again, and I've said this so many times, you have a new nature. That's why you're schizophrenic. That's why there's part of you that loves the world and part of you that won't let you love the world. Part of you that loves the Lord and part of you that doesn't want to love the Lord. And you're constantly going through that struggle of who you're going to give in to. Paul put it this way in Galatians 5. He said, The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 
and the two are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You'll never end up being perfect like you would like to be because you've got that horrible flesh. Paul knew it. Paul had it. Do you know what he said when he really thought about it? He said, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the bondage of this death? But he had an answer in the next verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. God knows that. He knows how weak your flesh is. I love Psalm 103, verses 12, 13, and 14. It says, He remembers our frame, that we are dust. And like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The Lord pities me. He knows how weak I am, how frail I am, and how tempting sin is. And he remembers that. That doesn't excuse sin, but he pities our condition. And he's left us in this condition so that we'll appreciate heaven. But here's what Ephesians 4.24 says about that new man. Let's get 22. That she put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us. That old man is a child of whom? Child of the devil. When we walked according to the course of this world, when that was the only nature we had. Well, he said, put off the way you used to live, and that old man, and it's deceitful us, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let's make our minds new tonight. Let's renew our minds. That's why we have come together in this assembly to recommit ourselves to being the sons of God by our outward actions. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That is the part of us that is truly a son of God. That is the part of us that looks like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the part of us that we want to live according to. You've got both of them, and you have the ability, by the grace of God, to put off the one and to put on the other. And we make those choices a thousand times a day. And you have, you can put on the new man and put off the old. So we come down to verse 1 of chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Let us be dear children. Let us be dear sons of God. Not just bare sons of God. Not carnal sons of God. Not scarcely saved sons of God. In any sense of the word. But let's be dear children. Be ye followers of God as dear children. Doesn't every father, and, and only fathers can understand this, But every father in here understands the pleasure of having a son that wants to follow him. Believes the things he believes. Does the things he does. A father loves that. And our, our father in heaven loves that. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Children that love their daddy and want to do everything that daddy does and wants to do and want to do everything that pleases daddy. Well, how do we do that? And walk in love. Starts right off by walking in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. This is how we follow God. Verse 5. 
For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What did it tell us to put off in those verses? It told us to put off fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. It told us to put off filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. It says those things don't get into heaven. So we put those six off. And anything to do with those six things, what do we put on? Christian love. And we walk in the light. And we look like children of light. Because those that are still doing those six things are children of disobedience upon whom the wrath of God is coming. That's the difference, brethren. They're of darkness. They're of this world. They're of the devil. That's why these things are popularized. All six of those things that I just mentioned are popularized in our nation. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, Foolish talking and jesting are the mainstay of television. And it's for those things that the wrath of God is coming upon those children of the devil. And it says, let no man deceive you with vain words. Because there's a lot of preachers that are telling you, we're not here to hit you this morning or to beat you down. We're here to lift you up. They don't want to say anything negative about preaching the Word of God. Joel Osteen and his big church down in Houston wouldn't dare preach this passage and preach on those six things. Because if he condemned those six things, his membership would be cut into a fraction in one week's time. God is going to burn up the world because of these six things. And so we put them off because we want to be followers of God as dear children. This is how you read the Bible. You've been taught, the Bible's written to you. The Bible isn't written to a child of the devil, not one sentence of it. It's written to the sons of God. And so you read it and you see in all these places, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Well, I want to be a dear child of God. Well, he tells you how to do it. Walk in love. Love those that you're supposed to be loving. And that runs from your spouse to your enemies. And it says to get rid of those six things. It says to put on the new man, put off the old man. That's how you can be followers of God. And don't let anyone deceive you. You cannot be a son of God and engage in those things. And yet most preachers out there today are making people feel comfortable doing those things and still telling them you're a son of God. I mean, it's gone so far that some some televangelists like Robert Shuler and so forth think everyone's a child of God. They have got rid of hell. Everyone's a child of God. It's called universalism. It's disgusting. The Bible doesn't do that anywhere. It keeps reminding us that the wrath of God is coming upon the other children. It should be coming upon us, but God has saved us by His grace. Philippians chapter 2. I love this one. Philippians chapter 2. The practical aspect of being a son of God. Let's not just rejoice in predestination. Let's not just rejoice in justification at the cross. 
Let's not just rejoice in regeneration without the cooperation or means of man. Let's rejoice in looking like a son of God. And look what it says. Paul, writing to the Philippians, verse 12, I'll start. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you save yourself with fear and trembling? Depends on what phase of salvation you're talking about. If you're talking about the eternal phase, no. The legal phase, no. The vital phase, no. But the practical phase, do you have to work that phase of salvation out with fear and trembling? Absolutely, yes. You fear and tremble before the holy God of heaven that is bringing His wrath upon the children of disobedience for those six things we just looked at and you get rid of them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now look at what it says. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So here's two more things. Have you as a father, or have you ever heard your father say, Would you children quit fighting? Ever heard that? Or is that just strange language to you? Would you kids quit fighting? How about this one? Would you quit kids quit complaining? Ever heard that one? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Stop your complaining and stop your fighting. Why? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Is that how we become the sons of God? Is that how we become the sons of God? Or is that how we show that we are the sons of God? That's how we show it. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The God of heaven wants to have some children on earth that look like His sons in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We tell our children, where you're going right now, and it may be to school, it may be to play, it may be, it may be to the store, it may be whatever. Where you're going right now, you're going to see a lot of children doing things I don't want you to do. I want you to be a good example in front of them of obeying me and doing what is right, no matter what. Do do fathers ever talk like that? And here's the Lord talking that way about us. He's telling us, and this is a great church, the church at Philippi, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Stop your complaining. Stop your fighting that you can be the blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke. No one is going to be able to rebuke you because you don't ever do anything wrong. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation holding forth the word of life, holding forth the gospel by your lifestyle. And Paul said, if you don't do that, then maybe I've just run in vain by preaching and writing to you Philippians. This is the practical aspects of our adoption, where we look and live and act like the sons of God. That is so simple. Stop your fighting. Stop your complaining. The sons of God don't complain. How can a son of God complain? Heaven's not enough? Well, I don't have it yet. 
the person that says that ain't ever going to get it. Because that's from a black heart that's never been born again. There are so many good things now to be thankful for that God has saved us from and blessed us with. There's no reason to complain. There's no reason to fight. i got to protect myself. Oh, really? I'm glad the Lord didn't protect Himself when He could have called 12 legions of angels. I'm so glad He laid down His life for me. You don't need to protect anything. God will protect you. Do you get frustrated when negative events come into your life and the Father's chastening you? Do you know what the Bible tells us that's proof of? Your sons and not bastards. Right. There are a whole lot of people that the Lord just lets go right on their merry way, living in sin, and He never stops them nor corrects them nor chastens them. They're bastards. They're children of the devil. They've never been elected. They were reprobated in the very beginning. But when he comes chasing you, and you know, usually, when he's chasing you and why he's chasing you, it's because he loves you. That's the practical aspect of our great adoption. Amen. Come back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Brethren, there's something that we're looking forward to. The whole universe is moving toward a great event. The great drama of heaven and earth, the angels and men are moving toward this great event. Let's start in verse 17. We've we've read earlier the fact that the Holy Spirit witnesses within our hearts that we are the children of God in verse 16. And if children, if you're a child of a rich man, what else are you? You're an heir. If you're a child of God, what else are you? An heir. You have an inheritance, and it's a big one. It's amazing how excited people get as a piece of paper is pulled out of an envelope and an attorney tells them that they now have $50,000. Oh, my. Precious. Precious. Will you be able to buy a car next year? It's amazing what people get excited about. We have an inheritance, and it's a little bit bigger than a few bucks in a bank account. Where thieves steal, and rust corrupts, and moths eat it all. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If you're a child of God, and He's told you how you can know you're one in this chapter... If you're a child of God, then you're an heir. You're an heir of God and all that He's going to give you, you're in His last will and testament. And it was put into force by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're a joint heir with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Further evidence of a true child of God, especially in the context of the Roman epistle, was that they were willing to suffer with Jesus Christ for the gospel's sake. Verse 18, For I reckon... That sounds like a southern boy. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. In us. The glory that shall be revealed in us as the sons of God. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole universe, the created world as we know it, is the creature here. It is you, other words are used later to help you understand this. In verse 22, it's called the whole creation is groaning and travailing in pain until now. For the creature, a collective, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. A collective noun representing all the creatures God's made are under a curse of sin that will be lifted when we have a new heaven and a new earth. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Everything is moving toward an event in where the sons of God will be shown before the universe by the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will say, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. Jesus Christ will say, come, come, ye blessed of my father, and they're going to be on his right hand. No one on the left hand hears any words like this. Those on his left hand are going to hear, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, and, and into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Come, come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is what the whole universe is moving toward, that climactic event in which the Lord of heaven shows His mercy and grace on His elect, His sons, and those that are not His sons, He sends to eternal torment in hell. This is what the Bible teaches us. For the creature was not made subject to vanity. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who hath subjected the same in hope. God's held hope out for the whole creation that He will lift the curse of sin from it. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That verse right there, for those of you that might be thinking that the creature is the new creature, that the creature is the Son of God, there's a problem. It's because the verse I just read to you has the word also in it. It means there's two different things under consideration. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There's two things. We're going to be delivered, finally glorified in the presence of God, and the universe is going to have the curse lifted. As the book of Revelation says, there shall be no more curse. We have cursed this universe, and especially this world, by by our sins 6,000 years ago in Eden. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. There's destruction, death, mayhem, and decay everywhere we look in this world. And that is a curse of God put upon it. Listen, we had access to the tree of life in the beginning. There's going to be a great difference made in the future and the whole world's moving toward it. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Jesus hasn't lifted it yet, but it's coming soon. And not only they, 
but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. This is an aspect of adoption that is yet coming. Jesus Christ died for our bodies, and God gave us these bodies. They're His possession. They're part of us because we're a three-part being, and they're going to be put back together and delivered into the presence of God. We will have our bodies. We'll be body, soul, and spirit in the presence of God for eternity. And that is the last part of adoption. The Bible tells us right here that the Apostle Paul was still waiting for his adoption. Because that's what it says. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit telling us exactly what he meant. To wit, that is the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And so we are patiently waiting for this great change to take place in which our bodies will be adopted. And we began with that very thought this morning from 1 John chapter 3, where John wrote, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet, it doth not yet appear. But if we hope for that we see not, it doth not yet appear. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. For we are saved by hope. It is the hope of this fantastic event that's coming that allows us to go through any kind of suffering. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And so we come to verse 28, and this is the context for it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Listen, if you're a son of God, everything is working together for your good. And you can bear it all because you've got a hope of something that's coming that there's nothing in this world, no matter how negative or bad, can be compared to it. First Peter 1, we close. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. 
that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that regenerated us, that begot us again as the sons of God and hath given us a lively hope, a living, wonderful, fantastic hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's the first fruits of them that slept and the rest are going to follow him. We have an inheritance that is incorruptible. Moths do not eat it. Rust does not corrupt it. Thieves do not steal it. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. The will is not going to be changed and you lose it. And we are kept by the power of God by giving us and upholding our faith that we'll continue to keep that sight in front of us, that we will live the lives that we should. And in this case, it was in the face of horrible suffering and persecution because that's what this passage was given for to encourage those saints that Peter wrote that though their faith might be tried with fire, being tried by fire would just make it all that more precious in the sight of God when the Lord Jesus Christ did come. And though they had not seen Him, and though they had not seen all that was going to be done for them, it doth not yet appear. Hope is not based on what we see. It's based on what we don't see. They, they had that lively hope, and it could propel them, keep them, and take them right through terrible sufferings, and even in the midst of those sufferings, they could rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory because they had the right picture of heaven and all that's coming for the sons of God. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And every man that hath this hope in him rejoices with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Lord's given us a lively hope. Let's live like it. Let's love one another. Let's be the sons of God without rebuke in this crooked and perverse generation. Let's help one another as we wait for our Savior to come from heaven, where we'll be with Him forever, and the whole universe will shut down as it's presently known, and it'll be changed as we are declared to be the sons of God. Amen. Amen.